we finished up chapter uh, one. Uh, Pastor Harv preached on that on Sunday. Now we're going to jump into chapter two. And you have to remember that the main theme of the book is found in verse six of chapter one, where he says, I'm confident of this or being confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to maturity or completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. Your life is too short to be shallow. And Amen. we here at the Salty Pastor Podcast want to encourage you to be growing in your faith. Mm-hmm. If you're not growing, you're shrinking. And we are here to help pump you up in your <laughs> spiritual life. Hans and, and Franz Hans of and the Franz. spiritual world. Uh, our waistlines don't look like it, but we can pretend like we sound like it. You ought to see our spiritual side, man. Spiritual side. It's ripped. We are ripped. Um, but we are here to help you grow and learn and critically think for yourself so yes. you know what you believe and why you believe it. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host. Back from my trip to the outer wilds of Oregon. <laughs> it's and wild out there. It is wild out there. But uh, obviously, we can't do the Salty Pastor without a Salty Pastor. And we have the original... One himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Oh, it's good to be here. It's good to have you back. You know, you're doing charity you guys, work. I heard you guys uh, did the host thing for me last week. So yes, I, we did. We swapped. I did swapped. one, and then Pastor Harv did one, but we just couldn't get the radio voice. The now. radio voice isn't. It's it's years of experience. <laughs> what you really need is a face for radio to yes. get the radio voice. So <laughs> okay. it's, it's one of those things. It's one of those things. Yeah, so it's good to have you back. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you went out and helped that charitable organization raise some money. I'm so excited about that. Yes, me too. It was a great experience and and a great opportunity to give of my time and my skill set. Good. Well, we're happy to share you for those things. But it's good to be back here (laughs) on the Salty Pastor. I heard you guys covered the rest of Chapter 1 last week. Yes, um, yes. During the Salty Pastor. I actually haven't even had a chance to listen to those episodes, so you might have to do a little bit of catch-up for me. No worries. The Book of Philippians is our study. It's awesome. It is. So I'm assuming we're moving on to chapter two unless we're we're moving more into chapter one, right? We're- no, yeah. We finished up chapter uh, one. Uh, Pastor Harv preached on that on Sunday. Now we're going to jump into chapter two. And you have to remember that the main theme of the book is found in verse six of chapter one, where he says, I'm confident of this or being confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to maturity or completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So then he goes into chapter two. And what you have to realize is that originally there were no chapter and verses in these letters. They're just letters. Yeah, they were just letters written like you would sit down and read a book. It's all one flow, paragraphs or so forth. And the actually didn't add the chapters and verses till around the fifth or sixth century. So four or five hundred years. And that was mostly for convenience of referencing, right? Exactly. So you could say, oh, it's found in this part of this book. Book, of, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so that's why they were added was purely for that. So you could find stuff more easily. You mean Paul wasn't quickly. sitting there writing chapter one of yeah. my letter nope. to the Philippians? <laughs> no, he just wrote, you know, a lot of times he had a scribe doing it for him. But uh, chapter two picks up the idea that what he said in chapter one is how we be that. So in chapter one, he says, I'm so happy for you. Don't be discouraged. Mm. Uh, I think Harv brought out this notion of don't be intimidated by what's going on in the world, but just stand strong. And then he goes, now I want you to be 
what God has done in you. He started it at salvation. Now he's carrying it on. So the way that you uh, live in the kingdom of God, the way that you see these things manifested in your life is you learn how to be in them. It's Mm. not an issue of, well, just do this, do this, do this. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of living, a way of processing what's happening to you. And that's why we call it a being. Uh, uh, an, an act of being in something. And so there's basically three main sections of chapter two. And I just want to give everybody a heads up on what they are. The first one is when you live in the kingdom of God, there's a blessing. This blessing comes from having the right attitude and Jesus reflects the attitude we should have the right one. Okay. The second section is the blessing or the outcome of living in the kingdom of God can be undermined if you keep living in the world. And so the kingdom of the world has certain behaviors, right? Mm-hmm. And if you if you continue to do those, guess what that does? It undermines reaping the fruit of the blessing of living in the kingdom of God. And then he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus in the last third of the chapter. Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. And uh, Timothy was obviously one of his disciples very close to him, but Epaphroditus was a guy who had been sent to him from the Philippian church. Okay. So chapter two is continuing. Yes thoughts and, and ideas from chapter one, that main point mm-hmm. that is established in chapter one. He doesn't, you know, some of these books that he, they're kind of segmented where it's like the first yeah. part isn't always related to the next part. He's like, I have points I need to hit, but this Correct. one, these do connect. Yes. He, he, he wants these to connect. And chapter two, um, my understanding is it's, what do you call it? The primary source text, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Of the doctrine of the Trinity. So it kind yes. of establishes what we know about the Trinity in, in yes. that idea, right? Yes, it, it it's helps very, us understand it, not necessarily establish it. It's been established yes. since God. Exactly. I I think that this is uh, doctrinally, it's it's a, a very significant text. Okay. They call them Christologies. Okay. And there's one also in Colossians. And Paul was one who really kind of articulated how it worked, even though John is the one who articulated the principle or the concept. Okay. All right. So it's interesting. Paul wasn't some guy who came along later and then decided, oh, I'm going to add this. But John in his gospel shows from day one that it was a principle. And then also in Matthew, you see the terminology that Jesus uses about his being one with the father and how Mm -hmm. the father is in him and he is in the father and so forth. And that he can't do anything apart from the will of the father. And then he tells Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Right. (laughs) So we see this principle of the Trinity happening over and over again, but it's really important to understand that this uh, source text, this Christology is written in the context of this letter and the context that he's writing in is incredibly important. And what he's saying is that, look, this Christology is critical for our doctrinal foundation that hasn't changed in 2000 years, but it's written as a foundational principle in the context of how we are to view our relationships. Okay. Cause you remember he's saying, look, I have a great affection for you. I have great joy, even though I'm in prison, I love you guys. You love me. We've kind of established that fact. Well, what makes this relationship so powerful? What makes it so strong is that it's not just an, an, uh, 
an idea that they would like to be true. It's not utopian in nature. It's based on a foundational fact of who God is and who is Christ. So you see, it's rooted in truth. It's not rooted in ideology or desire or even a dream. It's rooted in a factual foundational reality of how the universe operates and works. And so when we're in line with that, then we understand so much more and we experience so much more. But when we're out of alignment, then our relationships just don't work. And so I think that's really, really important. And so let me kind of work backwards and I'm going to read the last verses in the chapter, starting with verses 19 through to the end and kind of give you an idea of this a relational affection that he has okay. and primarily with Timothy and Epaphroditus. Uh, verse 19 says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare for everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me uh, in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Now, I'm going to stop there real quick because notice Paul has an extremely high opinion of Timothy, mm -hmm. right? Uh, he calls out a few people who put their own selfish interests first and abandon him. And there, you can read about some of those people back in the book of Acts. Timothy never did this. He was always faithful. Paul sends Timothy as an envoy of his. He says, no one's going to care for you like me except for Timothy. And this really proves Timothy's impact on assembling the New Testament. This is really mm. kind of a very important side note. This is how we know that Timothy was the one who gathered all of these letters because Paul would write them give them to Timothy and then send him as an envoy. Right. So Timothy had original copies yes. of these things. So Timothy was loved. And so this Christology, this, this, how Jesus and God are one in this really great relationship. Okay. Called the Trinity. Paul is reflecting that same attitude of relationship with his adopted son, Timothy, who picks up the work and carries it on for him. Mm -hmm. Isn't that fascinating how that's those really things cool. are? Yeah, that's yeah, really yeah. cool. And then look at Epaphroditus, verse 25. I do think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus became a Christian in the church of Philippi. He says, Epaphroditus is my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. So what? what remember how he says in chapter 1, you guys have worked alongside me. Mm -hmm. Well, what the Philippian church was doing, and if you remember in our very first podcast on this subject, the study is that the Philippian church is pretty well off because it had a lot of these retired right. Roman citizens. They're, yeah, they're they're kind of a uh, in Idaho. It'd almost be like the Sun Valley of yes. Uh, there, it's people that were well off in life, and yeah. now they've retired to a place that is also yeah conglomerate of, of other well-off people. <laughs> That's right. So do you think anybody will ever write uh, a long-lasting revelatory letter to Sun Valley? Nope, probably not. <laughs> don't feel like, I mean, we've anything could happen. God works in mysterious ways. It just yeah. doesn't feel it like. It might be more along the lines of uh, what John wrote in the apocalypse, you know, <laughs> woe unto you, Laodicea. <laughs> woe unto you, Sun, Sun Valley, Valley. <laughs> you bunch of nuts. Um, but what happens is, 
he says Epaphroditus then comes from this church bringing um, a gift, supplying his needs, and he calls him this person, which is really interesting. He is a co-worker, he's a fellow soldier, and he is a brother which really tells you the whole nature of what it means to be in the church. And that is, first of all, we're brothers and sisters, so we're a family, right? right. But then he says, guess what? We're also co-workers. We're moving towards the same goal together. Yeah, so in a way, we're like a, a corporation. You right. know, we're in, on a business in some ways, you know? Mm -hmm. there's, there's kind of a sense of that. So it's like a family business. You know, families that are have relationships with each other and they're tight, but the family owns a business, right? right? And so then they have to have business roles with each other. Mm -hmm. And then he says, fellow soldier, meaning we have a mission right. that we have to go and accomplish. So that gives you really kind of like we're family, we're an organization, and we're uh, a missional army. Mm -hmm. And that's why the church can be a complicated place for relationships. Absolutely. Because, you know, you might say, hey, I want to be treated like a brother, you know, but the the general wants to treat you like a soldier. Right. You know what I'm saying? And there's times and places for all of those exactly. relational things, but they don't always align with how you're feeling. Feeling at the moment. time. Yeah. And so it's like, well, which hat do I put on, you yes. know, kind of a thing. So, but let's keep going on. He says, for... Epaphroditus longs for all of you and is distressed because he, you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and he almost died. Mm. But God had mercy on him, and not only him also, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad. And I maybe have less anxiety. So there you go. Even Paul's Paul trying to lower his anxiety. Yes. Yeah, so if you have my anxiety, you're in good company with the Apostle Paul. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So isn't that a powerful thing that he's saying? He's talking about, look, the church's relationships being in the kingdom of God is about relationships, and these relationships are built upon, as we see earlier on, this Christology, this doctrinal truth. And because it's so powerful, it influences these relationships in such a powerful way, a, a new way, a better way. And these people are were heartbroken because he almost died. Epaphroditus almost died because he got so sick. But now he has come back, and now he's going to continue the work. And so that gives us an idea of how important being a missional part of the church is, as well as a family part and an organizational part. I, I get this. Like, Paul's really gushing about all of these people. Yes. Timothy, Epaphroditus, the Philippians. He he thinks very highly of all very of them, highly right? of all of them it's it's they're he's they're very bonded it's like they're close friends like you mm -hmm. feel this like uh intimacy of you know i can speak to these different people about these different things and it's not it, it's not like a general newsletter where he's like hey here's what's going on in my life the end he's like speaking like hey I, these are written to you guys that i know very well right yeah. and about these people that i also know very well they're not just the, his employees they're like i don't know i think he might have a brother or something that Timothy might have a brother that does something like he knows Timothy intimately. He knows Epaphroditus mm -hmm. and Epaphroditus mm -hmm. sacrificed a lot for yes. this mission. And, and it's almost like they're all bonded together because they have this great mission and this attitude about how to do life together. 
that really bonds them together. I think that's part of the reason they're probably so close, right? Absolutely. And this is one of the most important things to understand about the power of what is being taught here. And that is, is that so many men that I know of are living lives of quiet desperation. They're living empty lives. There's all these women who are living empty lives and they, they think, boy, there's something more. They're unhappy and they're dissatisfied. We live in the wealthiest country that's ever existed in the history of the world. The, the people who are the poorest of the poor in America live at the same level in many ways as kings and queens did just 150 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so it's really quite fascinating to me that with all this affluence and all this comfort and all of this uh, opportunity, people are more unhappy, more dissatisfied because their souls are empty. Mm-hmm. They, they live in a desert of the soul. And that is they have all this stuff and all this material things, but their soul is dead and or dying. And main reason why is because they don't have any significant relationships in their life. And, th- and so when you live in the kingdom of God, <clears throat> one of the main things is, is to teach you how to have these relationships to feed your soul. Mm. It's so critically important. I remember many, many years ago, uh, there was a family, it was a a young couple and they had four kids. They were all under 10 and they were very active people. And I met them at some event or something like that. And I was talking to the guy and he's kind of an outdoorsy guy and, you know, one of these guys, adventure type guys and really super in shape. His wife was really attractive gal, you know, and she would run mini marathons and this kind of stuff. And they're raising their kids, you know, and, and I just remember saying, well, we don't have time for church, you know, um, because we're, we don't need that, blah, blah, blah. And then I heard 15 years later, you know, they're divorced and their kids are a mess. Mm. You know, it's like, look, you know, these daily Theoretically, things. they should have been yeah. perfectly great with the way. You know, yeah, they, they, they should had, have been. They had a recipe for quote unquote success based success. on what the culture tells you. Exactly. Should make you happy and make you successful and but it wasn't up. enough right because their souls dried up and and that's why i think he he says in verse one if we go back to verse one this is the reason why the christology exists notice what he says in chapter one he says look people are trying to stop the gospel don't worry a little suffering some suffering lots of suffering cannot intimidate us he who began a good work in you is going to work it unto completion therefore verse one of chapter two therefore if any If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, so if there's any good things that have happened in your life because you become redeemed by the blood of Jesus, if there's any comfort from his love, if there is any common sharing in the Holy Spirit, if there's any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So what is he saying here? He's saying, look, Faith isn't something that just happens to you, right? Faith is something that is a tool in your toolbox that you have to use. It's a muscle. And if you don't work out your faith, if you don't develop your faith, guess what? When the storm comes or the problem comes or the challenge comes, you're, you're flabby, man. You are mm-hmm. out of shape. You're on the couch and you, you can't even walk up the stairs when it comes to your faith. And so notice how he says, make my joy complete. In other words, finish the program by being like-minded, have the same type of love, being one in spirit. And he says, do nothing, verse three, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You really want good relationships? You really want to live in the kingdom of God? Then you're going to have to get rid of your own personal agenda in order to enjoy that. You know, when you go to SEAL training, they often say they don't take the most 
athletic. They often don't take the best skilled at weaponry. What they do is they take those who can be broken down and, and built into a unified unit to have absolute trust because the absolute trust between the guys is the most powerful weapon in warfare for a SEAL team, right? And prima donnas don't fit. Well, I, have, I see the same thing when I was um, teaching team dance. Yeah. It's like I would rather have a bunch of okay dancers who are willing to learn and work yeah. together than one or two superstars who won't do the choreography the same as everyone else or think they know better. It's like, yeah, they look great, but they bring the rest of the team down and then they are distracting and the whole not, thing fails. The whole thing fails. So, I mean, it's not warfare, but I, I I've seen a similar thing where it's like, you'd rather have some okay people that are willing to work together. Cause that's going to get you way further than just exactly. And you have shot. that principle is axiomatic. It goes through all the different, situations that right. you experience in life. It happens at your work. It happens in the military. It happens in your family. It happens across the board. He says, don't do things out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, your own agenda. Rather, in humility, value others as more important than yourself. Don't look only to your own interest, but also each of you to the interest of others. Now, notice what he does is he says, this is the nature of humility. Let me describe it for you. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. In other words, it's not thinking that you're a bad person, a terrible person. That's not humility. That's called self-abasement. Okay. C.S. Lewis says it's thinking of yourself less. So don't think less of yourself. Think of yourself less. Isn't English fascinating? When yeah. Or context. You move word one word. Really matters. <laughs> yeah, you move one word and oh my goodness. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, he's not saying don't self-deprecate and think bad of yourself. Just you know, have confidence in yourself, have courage in yourself. Cause look right before that, you should have the same mind, the same love, the same spirit. You should be sharing in everything. Look, you should have all this confidence. And so take all this confidence and instead of spending it on yourself, right? Think of how do I raise all these other people up? How mm. can I encourage them? He says, in your relationships with others have the same mindset as Christ. So see, here's where the Christology comes from. Oh, what is the attitude of Jesus? He says, who being in very nature, God. So he and God were of the same essence, the same nature. They were one. Okay. He says he did not consider equality with God, something that had to be used to his advantage. It says in the American standard, something to be grasped or held onto. He says, rather he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father." So the synopsis here is, if you've benefited from anything in Jesus Christ, then respect what he has done in you by being this way. It's not a bunch of list of do's, right? It's you must become this, right? Like-minded, same love, follow one spirit, be of one mind. Look to the interests of others. And this is a radical concept for the Romans. A lot of people don't realize is that the entire Roman culture was personal advancement. Okay. Okay. And what you would do is it was a lot like Survivor Island is you would go out and you would establish alliances 
Okay, and the whole ethos of Rome was to your friends, friends, and to your enemies, destroy them. And so you would form an alliance to destroy your enemies. But in the end, you gave an account for your own. And so you lived for the honors. It's all about honor. And that's what the whole census was about every five years, where you would record your honors. And if you had more honors than the next guy, guess what would happen? You would move up in the hierarchy of society. You'd be granted more privileges, more status. It was much better. You know, you moved to the VIP quarters, so to speak. So when... Paul writes this to all these Roman citizens who had lived their entire life doing what? If you had been in business like Lydia, or if you were an ex-Roman soldier who'd retired, you'd spent your whole life doing what? Earning accolades and moving up the ladder. And he says this, that's not what it's about. I know you've lived your whole life that way, and this is how you got to where you're at, but that's not what the kingdom of God is. The Mm. kingdom of God is not, not thinking less of yourself, just think of yourself less. In humility, consider the needs of those around you because that's exactly what Jesus did. You see, our example is Jesus Christ. He did not hold on to the power that he had, but he released it and took the form of a bond servant. So in that time when he was in the form of a man, his power was not completely taken away, but it was severely limited. Mm. I mean, he'd get tired. He had to sleep. You see, all those types of things. Number two, he was willingly did this. No one could take it away from him, right? No one forced him into it. He says equality with God was not a thing to hold on to or grasp. So he willingly let go. And that's why God exalted him. And so the point of this passage is to show us that our king is worthy to be followed. And this passage explains how the Trinity works. And so that's what's so amazing about it and why it's so critically important in this passage of scripture. So really, we see some really powerful doctrinal statements being made by Paul in the context of how we are to view our relationships with one another. He's speaking of Jesus, but this is really also giving us a great example of how we should be interacting, you know, these mm-hmm. different aspects of looking to the interest of others like Jesus did, not holding on to power, but, you know, instead serve others and, and work in that mm-hmm. way. Um, all of those things that you just talked about, they're also important. So as we have a few minutes left, why is it important that we never forget the context of what these powerful statements are? Paul made are because these are powerful statements. You could just pull them and say them and it's like, Oh, that's, that's good. That's great. Yes. Well, I think it's important because a strong faith is not simply some intellectual exercise. All right. We need to remember that this was in the context of living in the kingdom of God here on earth and having powerful relationships. It's these powerful relationships that we have, these partnerships, this unity of being like-minded that changes things that really allows his kingdom come on earth as it already is in heaven. Because notice what he says in verse 12. Therefore, oh, that's a very important word. Mm. It's because of these truths, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, and I like to use the term here, aligned. Because I think the flavor in the original language is stay in alignment. As you've been aligned with Christ, stay in alignment. Not only in my present, but now much more in my absence by continuing to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Mm. Isn't that interesting? You know, your salvation, you need to work it out. Do you work for it? No, but you need to work on it 
and its impact in your life. And then listen to verse 13 and remember verse six of chapter one and how they sound similar. Okay. Chapter one, verse six says, being confident that he who began a good work in you will do what? Carry it it through to to completion. completion. Now listen to verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Mm. Notice how those two are like, man, they are so similar. Therefore, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and perverse generation. The word perverse is translated warped. Okay. Then you will be shine like, or you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So listen to this. I must hold firmly. And the more firmly I hold to the word of life, guess what? The brighter the star shines. Then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Now, a drink offering was an expensive wine. And what the Jews would do is they would go up and they would pour it out over the altar. So a drink offering was basically only God could use it. Okay. See, what a lot of people don't understand is in the ceremonially ceremonial offering stuff, a lot of the offerings that you gave, like if you killed an animal and you it was like barbecue, because then you could eat it. Mm. You see, you, could, you would consume a lot of the stuff you sacrificed. But a burnt offering or a drink offering, guess what? You would put an animal that you could eat and sustain you, you'd put it on the altar, and then you'd burn it to a crisp till there was nothing but ash left. Mm. And so the point was, only God can use it. A drink offering, only God. It's complete expenditure. And so he's saying, even if I'm being poured out, guess what? On the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. In other words, he's saying, this is my purpose. It is so worth it. He goes, you should be glad and rejoice with me. No matter how I end up, no matter what my end is, you should be happy that we've had this time together. So let's recap this section here. God is at work in you to fulfill his good pleasure. Okay. The work is in you, but you must work it out. And this means you must participate in what he's doing. The words fear and trembling mean you must take this seriously, like getting ready for surgery or something. It's amazing to me how people take their faith so blase. They don't care about it. And then they wonder why they struggle with depression. Now, Sometimes you have to get treated for depression. Sometimes I get treated for anxiety. I understand that. But you should take your mental health seriously. And oftentimes, a lot of our mental health issues are because we have no faith, right? We haven't learned to use it. It's weak. It's We don't know who we are. We have no purpose or mission in life. We're not committed to anything. We haven't taken responsible for the outcomes in our life. And you know, the writer of Hebrews really excoriates the early church. He says, you, you guys should be mature, but you're still drinking milk when you right. should be eating solid food. And you have to have the elementary point of the faith described to you all over again. If you're in church and you need to get saved every week, you got a problem. Mm-hmm. You got a problem. It's called ignorance and immaturity. Sorry, I'm so salty. <laughs> he goes on to say the path, though, to maturity is alignment. It's obedience obedience, obeying God is not the destination. You obey God because God has a purpose of work in you. You obey God because he is to will and to work 
for his good pleasure. So I obey not as the destination, but as the process through which he is strengthening my faith. This is critically important in giving. Why are we to give? Why are we to be generous? In this passage alone, Epaphroditus sacrificed his life to bring a gift of money from the Philippians to Paul. He almost dies from it. He's going back. He says he participated in the growth of the kingdom. Why would we take those risks? Why do we give? Why do we continue to be generous no matter what? Because we're aligning ourselves with what God is trying to do in us. And he says, you know you're on the path, you know you're in alignment when your attitude is good. If your attitude is grumbling over what is going on in your life or around you, if your attitude is to argue and you're arguing with people and you're in conflict with people, particularly people of leadership in the church all the time, guess what? You are not on the path. You're, you're living in the kingdom of the world, not the kingdom of God. So, if you're willing to follow Jesus in this path, this chapter, he says, if you're willing to follow Jesus and allow him to will and to work in you, then your life will be transformed. That's what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Just like Jesus, your life then bears the fruit of righteousness, which is to the glory of God. It's an exaltation of you, your life, and all of those who are impacted by it. Well, thank you so much, Pastor, for uh, helping break down Philippians chapter 2 for us. Um, getting all of this context really helps us get a deeper, more meaningful understanding of what is being said and how and why it's being said. Mm -hmm. And I just really love that uh, opportunity to dig deep into this. So thank you guys so much for joining us as well. We'll see you on Thursday as we do some application on this chapter. And we'll see you then here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.